0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docu-series Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Hi, everybody. Yeah. We are Julia's parents, Jeannie and... Antonio calling from Brazil. This week on the show, Sally Tamarkin features director at
2: and WNYC reporter Arun Venakapall, who covers race and immigration.
1: Let's start the show. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is
2: life, the From NPR, I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders while he's out living his best life on vacation. It's been a minute. You did it, everybody. You made it to the weekend. <laughs> As you heard my incredible parents tell you, our guests today are two of my OGs. Sally Tamarkin, features director for Self, and Arun Venugopal, who covers race and immigration for WMYC. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Julia. <laughs> the song that we're hearing right now is Gloria Stefan. Let's hear a little bit. This is it. It's a beautiful song, but we're hearing it for a sad reason mm. because it's the theme song for a Netflix show called One Day at a Time, which was one of the few shows that like really uplifted an entirely Latinx cast. And this week, Netflix made the decision to not renew the show for a fourth season, which I'm really uh, bummed about. Boo. Yes, boo. Regular people fans and also fancy people fans like Gloria Stefan and Lynn Manuel Miranda have been tweeting for days with the hashtag RenewOdat in an attempt to try and get the show back on air. Have you guys watched it? I've seen a bit of it, yeah.
3: I'm sorry, So I haven't been. I I had friends who for weeks and weeks before the cancellation rumors were just like, oh my God, this is the best show, Mm -hmm. you have to watch this. And so I really feel sad about this thing I've never watched.
2: Yeah, it's so good. I feel like, you know, it's on Netflix, so you might as well catch up on Mm -hmm. the three seasons that are there. Um, It's, I mean, it was such a beautiful show. People are, like, really criticizing Netflix, especially because Friends, they paid, you know, $100 million to keep Friends on Netflix, so... Um, you know, choices. Choices being choices. made. Choices. It's going to get another boo from me. <laughs> One, day at a time. One day at a time.
0: One day at a time.
2: Okay, to start the show as we always do, each of us here will describe some news from the week in just three words. Arun, you are first. What have you got for us today?
3: All right, so my three words are hate doesn't die, and I got to say, I came up with my three words started thinking about this before we heard the news this devastating news of these mass shootings in New Zealand and so I guess it is a very strange and unsettling coincidence I was writing this about anti-semitism in America and all these mm-hmm. different incidents we're seeing very unsettling um, incidents of anti-semitism and then wake up to this news of this horrific you know, brutal anti-immigrant Islamophobic sort of massacre that's happened in New Zealand feels all too familiar for anybody who's lived in America um, this manifesto that people are like alternately saying like this is what he wrote and right. and do not give this person um, the credit he deserves by going and indulging his xenophobic thoughts
2: right we should say that at least 49 people were killed by a gunman and there were two mosques that were attacked in New Zealand in Christchurch Arun, do you want to talk about the story that you had come up with, that you had prepared with that happened this week? Um, it's It seems smaller, but it's also very connected to the spread of hate in general.
3: Um, my original three words kind mm-hmm. of idea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first thought about this idea that hate doesn't die, I was struck by this incident that happened in Queens, in New York City, in, uh, in a neighborhood called Rego Park. It was just a few days ago, actually. It was a couple kids. Um, they were caught scrawling swastikas all over a playground in this neighborhood, uh, and they were arrested um, and charged with aggravated harass- harassment. And These are two 12-year-olds. And then at around the same time on the West Coast in Orange County, there were a group of high school students who uh, were having some sort of drinking game, and they formed a swastika out of their plastic beer cups. Oh, God. And um, were these people all... Willfully trying to terrorize Jewish Americans, not necessarily, we may not ever know, uh, but I do think it doesn't matter when you think about like the effect that it has on people in this country, especially Jewish Americans who were terrified, whether it's of, you know, this recent massacre at a, uh, in Pittsburgh at a a synagogue or um, other acts of anti-Semitism.
2: I think it's also hard to figure out the right thing to say to a group of kids who maybe they don't understand the consequences of their actions. We want to like really hold them responsible, but we also want to teach them and we want to, you know, make sure that hate doesn't spread. It's really a, a, a tangly thing. Do you have any thoughts, Sally? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the fact that
4: kids as young as 12 are getting involved with like swastika graffiti, sure, they could have white supremacist views to espouse, or they could just be kids being mischievous in a way that they know adults will find rebellious. But even if it is the latter, it's so troubling to me that it's so normalized and so mainstream to just, like, throw up a swastika or a Heil Hitler or whatever, um, or to make a swastika with your with your beer cups. And we wake up to this news um, about something that happened in New Zealand or that happened in Pittsburgh or... Charleston and it's uh really really hard to know what to say.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm going to move on to my three words which are grounded, at last. It's a story that Really took over the media this whole week. On Sunday, March 10th, a Boeing 737 MAX 8 crashed in Ethiopia and killed all 157 people who were on board. This is the second crash of this specific kind of airplane in less than five months. The other one was a Lion Air flight that crashed in Jakarta. Sally and Arun, were you freaked out? Did you have feelings about the crash that really took over our our news week this week? I am
4: so not into airplanes and flying. So when something really scary and sad happens, I spend a ton of time reading about it and trying to understand what happened. Um, And that is what I did this week. So that did take up about 70% of what I was
3: thinking about. I I somehow managed to not freak out about this as much as I I mean, I guess we'll see when I get on a plane next time how I actually respond to it. Um, And sometimes the weird thing is your mind can be completely fine with it. Your body, though, Mm. reacts in a different way. That's the weird thing about getting on a plane and how you feel about it.
2: Right. And for some people, like, going to the airport is so much worse than than for other people. Right. And it was interesting to see how, like, throughout the week there were different countries that were immediately, like, we'll ground the plane, we'll ground the plane, we'll ground the plane. And I was a little bit like, okay, okay. But the United States was not quite as fast on that. Yeah, it definitely
4: seemed like it came later than it should have.
3: You know, it's so interesting you say that because I I think, you know, we are in this era where like one institution after another, you know, we just lose our faith in it. You know, we become cynical and you kind of think like, is this going to be, like a scientific decision that's made after due diligence, or is it a politicized decision that has to do with who right. has access, you know, to the FAA or to lawmakers or whatever? And mm. I think it's really unfortunate where you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And we get such competing information at times like this, so it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm.
2: And we should say that the head of the FAA spoke to NPR this week and said that they didn't want to ground flights until they had more information about what went wrong. But it's definitely hard to feel like you know what's actually true. There's just so much to go through, and it's just a lot of information. It's really overwhelming.
3: As if there's not other stories what we're constantly, like, you know, obsessing over and trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. It is a matter of, like, how much time do I actually devote to this particular panic?
4: (laughs) Yeah, how How much time do I have to spend on this particular thing I'm feeling anxious about, and how much data can I triangulate, and how many news Mm. sources can I look at? It's... A lot. The
2: answer is 24 hours a day, any day. (laughs) The answer is infinite. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, your last. What are your three words? Well, Julia, speaking
4: of infinite and endless ways of interacting (laughs) with the news, my three words are hashtag Facebook down. Ooh. Tell us about it. Well, as you may know, uh, earlier this week, Facebook went down for, I think, about 14 hours. um, And also... The quote-unquote Facebook family of apps, as right. they call it, which right. a cute way of talking about all of the internet that they own, which is uh, <laughs> <I know>. Instagram <laughs> and, yeah, and WhatsApp, Tinder. Uh, so people were having a lot of trouble accessing Facebook and Instagram and posting and interacting with it. Um, and I think it uh, affected people in multiple countries. Um, right. I was affected by my uh, – it made it so that I couldn't like compulsively refresh Facebook, for no reason, which oh, is wow. what I, I discovered. Freedom. Yeah. I know. You would think that. <laughs> but except, it was actually- No, I feel like at this point, my need to check Facebook has... <laughs> been common coded on my like there's something evolutionarily happening where <laughs> i just i instinctually i'll have facebook open and i'll be like i should open facebook and it's like it's already there but it's, now it's it's built in
3: wow um
4: so there was pandemonium um
3: <laughs> there was pandemonium. there was right yeah. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah and i think you know it affected people in real ways like who rely on for example whatsapp to communicate with people internationally right um but i think For me and most of the people I was talking to, it affects us just in that. Like, for example, I posted (laughs) something on Instagram that morning, and I was really hoping to get some likes. I (sighs) I staged a really nice photo.
3: I'm so sorry.
2: Um,
4: Thank you. Thank you for understanding. (laughs) I
2: I I recently put my phone to grayscale to try and not use it as much, uh, which basically means that it looks like a black and white TV or whatever.
3: You mean it's uglier and it's not as pleasurable? <laughs> you know what?
2: You know what happened? <laughs> I still use all of the apps. I just have no pleasure in using them. I just get, <laughs> I'm amazing. Like not happy about it, <laughs> but I'm using them basically just as much as I was when it was color. It's really, I've, I feel defeated, honestly. But the thing about oh. this particular Facebook
4: outage is that I noticed recently that when I brought it up to people, more people than usual when there's some sort of outage in an app we use all the time, more people are like, oh, I didn't notice because, for example, your phone's in Grayscale. Or my wife took Facebook off her phone and as a result is using it like 95% less. So she didn't know about it. And I feel like that was the other thing. Like half of us were experiencing total panic (laughs) because we couldn't,
1: you know, (laughs) access
4: our social media But then, like, half of people were, like, floating with equanimity on a cloud being like, I didn't even notice that because I deleted that app.
3: (laughs) It's funny because I I kind of been reconnecting with an old friend who a few years ago I was like, man, like, you got to get online with the rest of us so we know what's happening in your life. He's like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just not the kind of person who does that. I don't I'm not on Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I think you made the right choice. Yeah,
4: honestly. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. We've come around now that there was a point where that was like the pretentious choice. (laughs) And now it's actually the most honest. Honorable, admirable. You're so sophisticated. Yeah, like, (laughs) oh wow, I wish I, I want to be
2: like you one day, (laughs) deactivating (laughs) Facebook. Facebook. Incredible. Yeah. It's time for a break. When we come back, You heard about that big college bribery scandal this week where a guy named Rick Singer took wild measures to make sure the children of the rich and famous got into college. What? We have thoughts, and so does one black graduate from one of the nation's top schools. We'll talk about what it was like for her to get in. I'm Julia Furlan, keeping a seat warm for the inimitable Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docu-series, Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. I'm Bob Boylan, host of NPR's All Songs Considered and creator of the Tiny Desk series. I have a message for
2: unsigned musicians all across America. Enter the 2019 Tiny Desk contest for a chance to play your very own Tiny Desk concert. It'll change your life. So no matter what kind of music you make, we want to hear from you. Find out more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. You have until Sunday, April
1: 14th. Better hurry.
2: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan, also known as Not Sam Sanders But Trying. Coming to you from New York City with our two guests this week, Sally Tamarkin, Features Director itself. Hi, Sal. Hey, Julia. And Arun Venegapal, who covers race and immigration at NPR Member Station, WMYC. Hey, Arun. Hey, Julia. Hi. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. I know you both have feelings about this one story this particular week, the big college scam story. <laughs> We're gonna get to your feelings a little bit later, but let's take a minute and make some noise about what this college scam thing made us feel. I really want you to open up, open up. (laughs) Give me a noise, give me a noise. (laughs) <laughs> it's probably not good to hiss into a microphone, right? <laughs> are you crying?
3: <laughs> Just weeping. Sobbing,
2: yeah. <laughs> the quick details. Uh, federal prosecutors this week say they uncovered a scheme where rich parents bought their kids' admission to elite schools like Yale and Stanford and the University of Southern California. Like, 50 people have been charged. A lot of them are parents, Hollywood stars, and some big-name business leader, you know, people in suits and stuff. <laughs> This guy, William Rick Singer, accepted something like $25 million. He allegedly worked to falsify exam scores and had parents Photoshop photos to make it look like their kids played sports that they definitely did not. We wanted to hear from someone who hustled to get where she is and is shining without having to pay any bribes, so we called up Kaya Thomas. I knew Kaya from when she was on a show that I used to produce called Another Round, when she was a sophomore in college because she was thriving so much then, <laughs> if you can believe it. Hello? Hi, Kaya. Hi, Julia. How are you? Oh, it's so good to talk to you. She's 23. Yes, she's, she's a web a developer at Slack, sure. and two years uh, ago, she graduated from I already, Dartmouth College, I really kind of Ivy League. And- Dartmouth isn't one of the schools implicated in the bribery story, so we should say that. Kaya's journey to Dartmouth started years before when she was growing up in Staten Island and Harlem. When it came time to attend high school, her parents agreed that she would move with her dad to Westchester, just north of New York City, where the schools were much better. She said it was pretty (laughs) eye-opening. By her second year
1: there, when she tried out some honors classes, she was struggling. It was just so much harder, and a lot of the peers... Um, that I had in my classes had a lot of tutors. Um, all of the kids who were in the honors and AP classes, majority of them were white, rich kids. And some of my best friends to this day are the other black kids who were struggled through these honors and AP <laughs> classes together. That's
2: right, bonded in, bonded in in struggle, right? Yes. Um and what kind of support did you have as you were getting ready to go to college and apply for everything? Did you like hire test prep people or maybe bribe people with like a couple hundred thousand dollars that you had just like <laughs> lying around?
1: Definitely not. Definitely not at all. Uh, My father, um, really, he's always been a huge proponent of of my studies and my mother too. um, But he had the experience of going to college. So he was really, you know, trying to push me to study for my SATs. Um, We actually did a consultation with one of those kind of college prep coaches Uh who helps you with your essays and all this stuff. And she told us that her rate was like 300 plus an hour or something. So we couldn't afford that. Um, And a lot of the studying that I did was really just on my own with the kind of college prep books and stuff. A lot of the courses were so expensive that you can't really do those test prep courses if you don't have a, a ton of money.
2: I mean, even the books are expensive. I remember trying to just like getting a sense for how expensive all of it was and being like super overwhelmed, even though I was like in a pretty good situation
1: yeah it, it 's ridiculous. I actually worked as a peer tutor, so um, I tutored some of the the wealthy kids in this um, I worked for a peer tutoring company as a part time job, and that 's actually kind of how I got an insight into how the other side lived because it was like a yes. whole new world and the parents I talked to the parents and they would tell me like yeah like you 're one of the many tutors that comes in, and we have other professional tutors for all their classes and It kind of blew my mind that all these kids have so much help getting through high school.
2: Which is all the more incredible that you got into Dartmouth early action because <laughs> you hustled your actual way to that. You must have yeah. been super, super psyched about it, right?
1: Yeah, I was incredibly proud. I, I can't I I'll never forget um reading that logging into the system and reading that I got in, um and then just like running to, to my parents and giving them a hug. Yeah. But the the day I got in, um, towards the end of the school day, I'll never forget, some of the students, and I know who the students are, um, they said, oh, she only got in because she was black. And they started spreading that rumor around. Um, and it was really hurtful, to be honest, because I know I worked so hard, and they don't know how hard I worked or what I had to do to get in. The SATs, for me, were one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And in order to actually get a decent score. I for like three, four weeks, I woke up every Saturday at 7am and took a full exam. What so that I can train myself to like, kind of overcome that anxiety and know that I can do okay. Like I just know that I worked hard and like I earned my place and nobody can take that away from me. Absolutely. Um, And seeing, you know, the scandal and all these people just walk their way in. I don't know how they sleep at night, to be honest.
2: (laughs) I know, right? I mean, Tell us a little bit about Dartmouth. Was it, uh, you know, I mean, Dartmouth is not exactly, like, considered the world diversity capital. But, yeah, tell us a little bit about what that was like once you were there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought that I was, I had been exposed to, you know, kids of wealth when I was in high school. But going to Dartmouth, it was like a whole other (laughs) level of, (laughs) of kids with wealth. You know, I had kids in my class who, their last name was the same as people whose last names were on buildings. And I was like, wait, <laughs> are, is that your family? Like, you don't want to ask, but, you know, it's, it's an incredible amount of wealth that you're exposed to. And um, I honestly was oblivious to it for a lot of my time there. It wasn't until later on in my college years when I started to meet people who were so wealthy that they started telling me what some of the tells were, how you could tell other people were wealthy. And then I realized, well, oh, everyone must know that I'm not wealthy then <laughs> because I don't have those kind of same attributes.
2: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your group chats. What's popping off this week as this college <laughs> scam story? What are people saying in the group
1: chats? I mean, we are just like, it's not shocking that we're surprised that they've done this. <laughs> I think a lot of us, what we're really shocked at is the amount, the length that they're going to get their kids like these good test scores and to to like fake their kids grades and all these accolades and I, like we're just confused that like they couldn't do it themselves like <laughs> I know. they hired a whole adult to go
2: and change the test scores they photoshopped yeah. faces onto people's bodies come on <laughs> so now you're grown and you work in tech and you work at one of my favorite applications, Slack. <laughs> and I was wondering a little bit about how you, do you ever feel imposter syndrome in your
1: real adult grown life? Yes, for sure. I think the, the same idea, you know, dating back to high school and college, the idea that you got where you are because of affirmative action or because of your race or your gender or what have you. And I think that sometimes is always there. Um, sometimes, you know, I wonder if people think that, not necessarily like in my, you know, in my job, but do people think that I am where I am because of only this one reason? But how I just try to combat that is just reminding myself of how hard I worked yes. um, and the skills that I have. Um, because the reality is, and like with tech, if I didn't have the skills, there was, there was no way that I would be where I am, right? They're not going to just let, in, let me in just because of race. Like, what if I can't do the job? I have Absolutely. to be able to do the job. And so I just tr- try to remember that, that I can do the job, so I'm here on my own merit. Yeah. Um, And
2: before we go, we usually ask our callers what they're doing for fun this weekend. And like, I'd say that you're having a pretty big weekend. Kaya, tell us where you are.
1: I am in Amsterdam for the first time. This is like my first time to Western Europe. And I'm really, really enjoying myself. It's such a great city. Yeah. Fault in your
2: stars. Um, (laughs) What is one thing that you're looking forward to doing this weekend? What are you going to do?
1: This weekend, I'm looking forward to going to the zoo. <laughs> I know that sounds <laughs> that sounds yes. silly, but I actually haven't gone to that many zoos, like even in America. Ooh. So um, I'm excited to just like be a kid again a little bit and go to the zoo and explore it.
2: Look, you deserve every little bit of free time. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your week. You too, Kaya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Kaya Thomas, 2017 graduate of Dartmouth College, for talking about her own journey to the Ivy League the right way. Back here with Sally Tamarkin from SELF and Arun Venugopal from NPR member station WNYC. What was your reaction to this story this week? Arun, I know you especially have feelings.
3: Oh, Talk about it. Oh, it hits close to home, Julia. Uh, gosh, I have, as you know, um, a 12th grader.
2: Yeah. Uh, wow. I... Anoka.
3: Yeah, that's right. <sighs> we are just waiting we're hours from hearing from three schools that matter a lot to her oh. um, and so you know there's a lot of stress at home it's we are very tightly wound and this story just kind of like crashed into our home at precisely the wrong moment and, and it's not like the sheer number of people is this crazy we're talking about maybe a couple hundred incidents and all but i think it really just kind of brought home for millions and millions of people I, mean, I don't i think i've seen a story like this which is so just flooded my timeline right absolutely anger and despair about like where do we live you know this isn't a meritocracy or democracy that we were promised you know or think it is
2: I mean the thing that I felt looking at this story is that like if you can put your name on a building and get your kid into college that's already not a meritocracy let's be real here I mean on a On a
4: lighter note, um, we have been blessed (laughs) with a wild scam. The thing of photoshopping faces on people. I mean, if that doesn't speak to the immense resources that these people have. And it is, in a way, I guess, not that different from the socially acceptable way of getting your kid in, which is buying a building or donating a bunch of money or being a legacy.
3: I mean, the thing is that... It's so hard sometimes to distinguish, like, the actual truth of the story from, like, all the parody kind of takes on. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody yesterday uh, on Twitter was saying in response to the fact that Lori Laughlin, is that her name? Lori Loughlin's uh, daughter. Aunt Becky, yeah. Aunt Becky's um, daughter, who's now in USC, um, that she was on the yacht of the chairman of the board of trustees at USC— at the time that her mom was charged and someone was tweeting while she was being fed grapes by students on Pell Grants. I'm like, no way they did that? They make students <laughs> on Pell Grants feed this girl grapes? I, wow. wow, USC. I'm like, oh wait, maybe not. Maybe not necessarily, but you know, it felt pretty real given the context. Right,
4: where is the satire and where is the real thing yeah, that happens?
2: Exactly. Yeah, totally. 2019. <laughs> We're in it. We're in scam. it. It's a scam. It's a scam. Arun, I hope that it goes well for you and your whole family. Thank you. And I'm sorry that you had to pay $500,000 to make it happen just kidding. You know, it's all <laughs> listener
3: supported public media funding. I just redirect it to where it's needed most.
2: <laughs> okay, it's time for a break. When we come back, everyone's favorite game. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This episode's sponsor is PwC, which offers the following message. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. PwC pairs the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. Human-led and tech-powered, it's all part of the new equation from PwC.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. A new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to vioricom NPR. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life, Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealthcom slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why.
2: We may be on the verge of another sexual revolution. In this one, we turn to machines for companionship and sex.
1: My main objective is to be a perfect companion.
2: How artificial intelligence and robots are changing the landscape of love, this week on hidden brain Okay, we're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan in for Sam Sanders, here with our guests this week, Sally Tamarkin, features director at self, and Arun Venegapal, who covers race and immigration at NPR Member Station WMYC. Hi, friends. Hey. Hello. Now it's time for a game. Ooh. Are you ready? Yes. So ready. Mm-hmm. It's called who said that? Ooh, and <laughs> I'm so, scared.
4: Don't be scared. I, I want to say that I am ultra non-competitive. Great. Same. Well, I root for other people.
2: Good. But
4: I am, this is, people are going to listen to this, so I'm okay. not going to
2: throw the game. Okay. All right, Sally. It's okay. This is a friendly game, mm-hmm. and here's how it works. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said it. Or at least the story that it refers to or something like kind of similar, you know, it's it's casual. And just shout it out if you think you know it. And the winner, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. The winner gets nothing. Oh. Absolutely nada. A whole lot of nothing. Zed. How
3: much nothing?
2: Nothing. A billion (laughs) nothing. I'll take it. You know what, Julia? I'll take it. Okay. First quote. Luna and I bought a hamster today. Her name is Peanut Butter. John is not thrilled, which makes me love her more. Who said that, Arun and Sally? I'm Becky. <laughs> oh my God, is that real?
3: Oh. <laughs> no. Damn. Uh,
2: it is a wonderful, uh, talented model and a famous cookbook author who's married to a singer who is very active on social media. Oh, uh, Chrissy Teigen? Yes. <laughs> Nailed it with a thousand clues. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the clues are there to help you and support you. Um, yes, Chrissy Teigen. Oh, sorry, Teigen. sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Wait, so okay. she's wrong.
3: I say Chrissy Teigen. I get it. Okay. No. That's the <laughs> point.
2: Okay. But the, half a point for each of you. Okay, fair. Half um, of nothing for each yeah, of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, they got a hamster. And <laughs> the hamster's name is Peanut Butter. Uh, the the hamster has like escaped multiple times. It's clear that like Chrissy is very excited and John is not thrilled about mm. it, mm. which you know is like pet ownership and marriage and like families in general,
3: right? Causes so many things.
4: I literally cannot think of anything more adorable in the known universe yeah. than
2: a hamster named Peanut Butter. Peanut Butter. Oh, also you love peanut butter, right? love peanut <laughs> butter. I, I too like peanut <laughs> right? butter, right? It's Listen, the okay, so this, the, that question, half a point for each of you and a point and a half for Peanut Butter the Hamster, mm-hmm. who is suddenly playing this game. That was my famous answer. <laughs> okay, next quote. This one's tricky. Are you ready? Ready. It's like the Titanic voting for the iceberg to get out of the way. <laughs> mm. It's a big story that happened this week mm. that is hard to understand. <gasps> The giveaway is hard to understand. Uh Uh-huh. Brexit.
3: Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. Ooh, Sals, you're doing it. I'm on fire. So the quote is from one senior EU negotiator who said it to describe the UK's vote this week to block a no-deal Brexit, meaning the UK cannot now crash out of the EU without a plan. So basically, my favorite thing about this Brexit stuff is hearing the House of Commons like general yelling that happens because like you want to think like oh British people proper blah blah blah, and meanwhile they're like the the House of Commons is like oh every time and then there's the one guy that's like oh da
3: <laughs> the gavel I yeah. mean they go for really. it they are entertaining
2: yeah he's an inspiration that guy the order guy
3: <laughs> that guy <laughs> yeah
2: well Brexiteers we'll figure it out someday God's in we'll prayers yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, okay. The final quote. Okay. Um, Sally, you have 2.7 points. The peanut butter the hamster. Rigged. You have half a point. <laughs> Arun has just paid me $500,000, so he has three points. Yeah, <laughs> that's Well right. played. Thanks well played. for that's that memo. That's America. Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> um, the final quote is, I haven't passed a physical note to someone since the fifth grade. Who said that? Chloe? <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> just just pulling a name out of the hat. I would like to ding. Go <laughs>
4: okay, ding. I, my, I'm hitting my buzzer. Sally, yes. This is from a story in the Atlantic. Ooh, yeah. About teens who are the best. Yes. Um who pass notes using
2: Google Docs. Oh, I love
3: it. Whoa! Who uh, is this person to my left?
2: Um, I mean, Sally is, like, she knows everything, Well, I guess. that's the only
4: one I knew without getting a ton of clues. <laughs> um, and that's because I think teens are the best.
3: None of the clues help me at all. Yeah,
2: yeah. fair. Um, <laughs> the quote came from Sky, which is a pseudonym for a 20-year-old who was asked about this trend by Taylor Lorenz in a piece that she wrote for The Atlantic about teens using Google Docs to pass notes in class. Basically, they were using, like, the chat function of Google Docs To scam all of the adults in their life. Amazing, Arun, are you having this moment of recognition where you're realizing that your daughter has been using Google Docs to like pass notes in class? I'm like, why is she throwing her iPad across the class? It
3: makes no
4: sense. Um, It's amazing though. Sorry, can I just say they. They use the comment functionality, and then they delete all the history so no one can see, so the teachers can't see. It's
2: just, it's brilliant, and it's inspired. Yeah. Teens. No paper
3: trail, uh, so to speak. No paper That's trail. That's right.
2: It's just a harbinger of how, like, we think something, like, isn't cool, like a, a word processing app. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, this is where we get all our goss. This is how we thrive. That's they're
3: right. taking us into tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's
2: right. Yeah. Um, I will announce the results of the very stiff competition you here. You do I
3: think we can just kind of guess. It was sort of a tie.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a tie. <laughs> so it was a You both won. <laughs> you both won, and
3: Sally won more, but you both <laughs> more won. More of nothing, which is worse and less of nothing. <laughs> That's
2: actually
4: true. I'm, it, it actually means that I've lost.
2: <laughs> Congratulations to both of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank um, you. Okay. Now it is time to end the show as we do every week. We ask listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. I always end up getting a little happy cry about this, and I encourage you all to get into that happy cry. Let's be vulnerable and open. (laughs) They all brag about the most wonderful things. Let's take a listen.
5: (laughs) This is Blaine. And Matt. The best part of our week is sitting here volunteering at member station KOSU in Oklahoma City for their spring membership drive. We love all the KOSU staff and seeing the community support on this last day of the drive is amazing. Hope you have a great week. Thanks.
4: This is Brenna calling from Florence, Alabama. The best thing that happened to me this week is I published my first book.
1: My son said data to my husband for the first time.
4: I finally got to see Hamilton and it was everything that I had been expecting and hoping and dreaming of.
2: I
3: came in first in a half marathon this weekend in just under an hour and 20 minutes.
0: I got to celebrate my 33rd birthday with my partner Austin and a great group of our good friends.
3: The best thing that happened to me this week was my son graduated from boot camp on Paris Island. He's home for a week before he gets shipped off again to who knows where, but we really appreciate having him devote his life to the service of our country.
4: This is Anna from Chicago, Illinois. And I am on my way to the airport today to fly to Stuttgart, Germany, where I'm going to perform in the 23rd International Solo Dance Theater Festival on Saturday. But what's really the best part of my week is that today is also the day that my mom has her last radiation treatment for breast cancer. I know she really wanted to travel with me to see this performance, but I hope that she knows that I really wish I could be with her to see her ring the bell and finish strong and cancer-free. Thanks so much for the show. I love listening.
0: Thanks.
2: Have a good one. Bye. Thank you so much to all the listeners you heard there. Blaine and Matt, Brenna, Maya, Christy, Michael, Jeremy, Claudia, and Anna. Listeners, thank you so much for all of your submissions to that segment. We do hear all of them even if we can't play them here. Thank you so much for sharing. And if you want to share your best thing on the show next week, just record yourself and share it with us anytime email your audio file to Sam Sanders at Npr.org. Sam Sanders at Npr.org. Oh, I'm still getting over the emotion <laughs> That's a wrap for this week. This is it. We're going out on the theme song for one day at a time, which will be gone from Netflix but forever in our hearts. Netflix, I've got nothing but eye emojis for you about this. <laughs> Thank you so much to my guests this week. Sally Tamarkin, features director itself, and Arun Venegapal, who covers race and immigration at NPR member station WMYC. Thank you both so much for hanging out. I really appreciated it. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julia. Woo. It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry. Our editors are Alex McCall and Jordana Hochman. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and the senior vice president of programming at NPR is Anya Grenvin. And listeners, make sure you come back next Tuesday to hear my conversation with Greta Lee, who's a comedic actress you've seen in Girls and Broad City. Yeah, do you know this? Oh, God, Sally, what's your face? Sweet birthday baby. Yeah, sweet birthday baby. You'll find out what that means next week. <laughs> That's in your podcast feed on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders. Thank you so much for listening.
1: One day at a time.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning.
3: IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today
1: at IXL.com slash NPR.